Good work, band. Those are great songs. And the Rescuer song in particular was my request because today we're going to talk about rescue stories. So if I were to ask you to tell me what a great res rescue story is, what, what would you tell me? Well, we're coming up to Remembrance Day, so perhaps you would tell the story of Oscar Schindler, who used his factory in Poland to rescue 1,200 Jewish people from being exterminated in concentration camps. That is a remarkable story of risking and rescue. Do you ever ask yourself, what propelled Oscar Schindler to do that? Because he put himself at great risk. If he would have been caught, he would have been killed, along with everyone he was trying to rescue. But he took the risk. Something nudged him, propelled him, made him take that risk, made him feel like it was worth taking the risk. Or perhaps you'd tell a different kind of story. Maybe stories from groups like um, the International Justice Mission. I want to read you their mission statement, which I think tells their story well. To rescue millions, to protect half a billion, and to prove that justice for the poor is unstoppable. Doesn't that make you want to get on board? We realized this vision by partnering with local authorities to rescue, um, uh, oops, I lost my spot, uh, to rescue victims of slavery and violence, bring criminals to justice, restore survivors, and strengthen justice systems. If you go to their website or to the website of other organizations like Service um, Anonymous Foundation, um, you would hear these remarkable stories of people who've been rescued. And you would, like the stories are so powerful, they make you weep. Or maybe your rescue story is even closer to home. Maybe you or someone you love has been rescued from the grips of addiction. And maybe you found help in something like AA, where you discovered that there was a God who was there for you and a community of people who surrounded you and helped you tell the truth about yourself. And you found yourself rescued and that there was hope in the midst of what previously had been hopeless. And if that was your story, it would be an incredibly remarkable story of rescue. There are all kinds of different rescue stories. Well, Today we find ourselves in the book of Exodus as we work our way through the Bible in our year of biblical literacy. So we've started in Genesis and there's the pictures down front, you can see them. We started with creation and then the fall and now we're in the story of Israel. And um, the, we're gonna talk about the great rescue story that comes out of the book of Exodus. But before we do that, I want us to pause. So, we're going to do a little bit of a review. First, Exodus fits into a section of scripture comprised of the first five books um, of the Bible, which we call the Pentateuch. I believe the picture's there. The Pentateuch, which literally means five books. That's not hard to remember. Pentateuch, five books. And includes Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. These five books are also referred to by the Jewish people as the Torah. 
So we call it the Pentateuch. They call it the Torah. And each one of those books, we'll remind ourselves, in Jesus' day would have been its own scroll. So we'll remind ourselves that though the Bible to us looks like one book, in fact, it is a library of books that we've put together, but that library of books tells one large story about a good God who is rescuing his creation. The word exodus is actually a Greek word, not a Hebrew word, and it comes to us from the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which we call the Septuagint. Um, the Old Testament obviously was written originally in Hebrew, but by Jesus' day, many people in Jesus' area anyway spoke Greek. So they translated uh, the Old Testament into Greek, and it's called the Septuagint. And when Jesus quotes scripture, and we have his quotes, they, are off, they often come out of the Septuagint. That's what he is using. And Exodus gets its name because it's the word that describes the primary event found within the book. The delivery of God's people from slavery and their exodus, or departure, out of Egypt as orchestrated by the God of their forefathers, Yahweh himself. Now, Exodus is important for a whole bunch of reasons, but I want to highlight two this morning. First of all, it's important because it tells the story of how God is faithful to his promises. Do you know that to be true? Broadly within the story of scripture, the large story of scripture, where God is rescuing and redeeming all of us, his faithfulness is obviously profoundly important, um, as it was important for the time when Moses lived on the earth and God was rescuing his people. The fact that God is faithful, whatever is going on, is one of the things that Exodus shows us very clearly and it's like this huge breath of relief, like, oh, we follow a God who is trustworthy and faithful to his promises, I think. That is very good news. And second, God's original promises are made to Abraham. We talked about that, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And remember last week when Murray and Emma did their little um, reenactment thing and they talked about how God had promised Abraham that he would have more descendants than the stars in the sky and the sand on the beach and Murray demonstrated how hard it is to count how many sands how many grains of sand are even in a pail yes indeed well God made that promise to Abraham that he would make him a great nation that would then be a blessing to the rest of the world and God is going to keep that promise because that's who God is he keeps his promises. Exodus tells the story of how God sets about to rescue his people from the slavery that they find themselves in, in the land of Egypt. And as you most likely know from the story of Moses, as found in the first chapters of Exodus, Pharaoh is threatened by how large the Hebrew population has grown. And these, he these Hebrews who are living in Goshen, which is the best land in all of Egypt, which was given to Joseph hundreds of years earlier because he'd come to Egypt 
and helped rescue the Egyptians from a devastating seven-year plague, or not plague, uh, famine. So technically, he and his descendants deserved that land. And the Hebrew people who lived there ever since Joseph's time had totally prospered. But now, they were perceived as a threat. And what do empires do with people who are perceived as a threat? Well, they make them slaves. Pharaoh even goes so far as to kill the, the Hebrew baby boys because he is determined that these people will not thrive. And he makes their lives beyond dreadful. And at that moment, as the people cry out because of their oppression, we find the second important thing that Exodus tells us. And that is, the narrative reminds us that God is not absent from the story. Not ever. Exodus 2 tells us that God heard their cries and he intervenes. So let's just pause and hear that part of the story as it picks up in Exodus 3. And we're going to hear it um, as read off of the Bible experience, um, which is a dramatic reading. So listen to the words of Scripture. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. The bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush. Moses. <gasps> Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer. God said, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you 
that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Here we've heard a story of suffering and the beginnings of intervention. Pharaoh says, I'm king, I make the rules and the Israelites will be my slaves, and I will do what I want, and I will not allow them to thrive. And then we listen to Exodus 3, and it adds, but God. God heard the cries of his people, but God remembered his covenant with Abraham, but God is faithful to his promises. Pharaoh could say whatever he wanted and make whatever kind of decrees he wanted, but God would have the last word. And when we look around, we can at times resonate at some level with how the Israelites felt. Things look bleak. We might want a way out. And we cry out to God, wondering if there is any hope at all. And we get lost in the details of our now. But God... He's part of the story. He hears. He cares. We can count on him. He is not absent from this story. Well, as the story goes on, I find it fascinating that God comes down, meets Moses, and tells him that he, the great I am, is going to rescue his people by sending a human. Moses, in this case. And Moses goes, what? Me? Doesn't it make you wonder why God didn't just do it himself? After all, why tie yourself to the frailties of humans? But that seems to be God's MO. He is in the rescuing and redeeming business, as it were, but he uses humans to do that. So think about Joseph, the ill-thought-of younger brother who gets himself sold into slavery, and God uses him so that at the end of the story, he says to his brothers, perhaps God put me here for such a time as this. Or think about Esther, um, a woman with really relatively little power in a man's world, and God uses her to save the Israelites from being annihilated. Or, or think about David. and I mean, he was just young when he had his confrontation with Goliath. Or... Or think about Samson, like really. Samson in all of scripture to me is one of the most messed up people and I always say if God can use Samson, he can use all of us because there's no one he's not using if he wants to rescue his people. Well and eventually it will be another human, Jesus, who comes to effect God's greatest rescue. But for the moment, he's going to use Moses. And when we look at Moses' life, it's apparent to us in retrospect that Moses has been 
uniquely prepared to do this task. We recognize God's hand in Moses' placement into Pharaoh's home as a young child so that he's raised as Pharaoh's own grandson, educated at the highest levels the country has to offer, and um, familiar with the political inner workings of the country. He knows the people who are in power. He's intimately connected. Moses is not actually being asked by God to go into a completely unknown situation. He's actually being sent home. Huh. He's terrified. Think about it. Who are the people who know you best and sometimes listen to you the least? I'm not mentioning any names, but um, it can be your family. And I think about what Jesus said. He said something similar when he said, a prophet is rarely accepted in his own hometown. Jesus even felt that. So how do you feel when you have to go tell your family something difficult? Well, I can tell you I immediately go into hiding. I hate the thought of any conflict that that might surface. Well, Moses isn't much different. Not me, Lord, he says. I don't talk so good. I stutter all the time. Hey, do you know my brother Aaron? I love that. Send him. But God is not deterred. He has a plan to rescue his people and he's going to both send Moses and go with him. Moses is not alone in this. He will be in the hands, he will be the hands and feet of the great I am. Well, you're familiar with the rest of the story, I'm certain. Uh, confrontations with Pharaoh, uh, more than one, because empires do not easily back down or give up control. Plagues ensue, God's power is shown, and there's this great struggle. But God will prevail in the end. He always does. He rescues and redeems the Israelites, and he will not be thwarted. And it's a great story of deliverance, and it makes us all want to stand up and applaud and call for an encore. But I want us to pause to remind ourselves that the Exodus story is actually what we would call an archetypal story, one that, while telling its own specific story about actual people being delivered from an actual pharaoh in an actual country, still foreshadows a larger story. So for a moment, let me move back and forth between the specifics of the Exodus story of God's deliverance of the Hebrew people from Egypt, and the larger story that all of Scripture together tells of God's redemption of humanity. So we can remind ourselves of how this earlier story foreshadows the larger story that's still to come, at least in Scripture at that point. So first, both are stories that involve slavery. The Hebrew people are are captives in slavery to Pharaoh and Egypt. And it's a terrible thing to lack freedom. Ask the slave with welts on his back or hunger in his stomach. Well, the second larger story tells of humanity with a capital H, God's creation, broken since the fall, and they also find themselves in slavery, but in this case, it's not slavery to a country, it's slavery to sin. Hmm. 
the kind of slave, this kind of slavery is also a terrible place to be. Ask the person caught in broken relationships or someone mired in the hopelessness of poverty or, or the person stuck in addictions. Being a slave to anything takes away our freedom and it makes our lives difficult. Well, when people are caught in something profoundly unhealthy or broken or enslaving, what is required is a rescuer. We need a rescuer. We sang about that. So God, the ultimate rescuer, prepares Moses and then sends him as the human voice in this great drama that we find in Exodus. And in the larger story, God will also send a human being to um, affect his rescue, but this time it will be Jesus. When Jesus begins his ministry, he starts by going into the synagogue, taking the scroll of Isaiah, opening it up, and reading the ancient words from Isaiah 61, which said this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, um, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And today these scriptures have been fulfilled in your hearing. Well, it sounds like a rescue story to me. The poor, the prisoners, the blind, the oppressed, finding ultimate hope because of Jesus. Now, put yourself in this story for a moment. Without Jesus, do you have a sense that you would be poor or a prisoner to something, blind or oppressed? Hmm, do you need a rescuer? Because you are one of the ones Jesus came to redeem. You are a recipient of his good favor, his grace, his love. You and I stand in need of rescue every bit as much as the Egyptians or the Israelites did in Egypt. We're just not always as clear about that. Well, third, the, Egypt, the Exodus story tells us that the Israelites being saved from death depended on them obediently sacrificing a perfect lamb and then painting its blood on the doorposts of the frames of their houses. They were, quite literally, saved by the blood of the Lamb. So without belief that God meant what he said when he told them to put the blood on their doorposts, and without obedience in doing what he'd asked, they actually would not have been protected. An innocent lamb needed to give its life so that they could be part of God's rescuing story. And of course, this pictures uh, uh, a foreshadowing of what Jesus would do for humanity broadly as he became our once-for-all-time sacrifice, or as scripture refers to him, as the Lamb of God who shed his blood to save mankind. Hebrews 13.5 says, without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Jesus was the perfect, innocent lamb whose blood covers and saves us. And that is an amazing story of 
ultimate love. And like the Hebrew people who had to believe that this blood was required and that they needed to respond, so too we need to believe and respond. It's how we begin our lifelong journey as part of God's family. Well, fourth, as the Israelites fled slavery, they were both led and protected by a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud, images that speak to us of being led and protected by the very presence of God. And it had to have been an incredible experience for them because even when things still felt like they were going sideways and they did still feel like they were going sideways as they're hustling their way out of Egypt and, and still they know that they are being pursued by the Egyptian army. How is this going to end? But in front of them is a pillar of light and behind them is a pillar and they are led and they are protected and they have, they have this sense that no matter what circumstances look like, they are being rescued and that is incredible good news. Do you have a sense that you are being led and that you are being protected by God's illuminating truth and by God's uh, presence with us through his Holy Spirit? We also as part of God's family are being um, led and protected. And then fourth, as they, oh, no, fifth, fifth, when the Israelites think that they are free from Egypt, well, they encounter this massive obstacle, the Red Sea, a body of water so large and so deep that they might as well turn around and go back to Egypt because they are not getting through that. But God, but God takes that terrible obstacle the thing that is impossible for them, and he did for them what they could not do for themselves. He split the sea, they walked through on dry land, and they were rescued. Did it have anything to do with their worthiness? It did not. It had to do with God's faithfulness to his promises and the fact that God is a good God. And God does for us also what he did for the Israelites. We have come up against a barrier, and for us, well, that's sin, and um, we are enslaved to it, and he's made a way for us through the gift of Jesus, through Jesus' death and resurrection, which he freely offers everyone regardless of our worthiness, we also are rescued. And to receive God's gift, you simply have to agree with God that you are a slave to sin and in need of a rescuer, a savior. You just have to tell him you're sorry and ask him to forgive you and to make you his child, and he'll do it. And you'll then be on a lifelong journey as a child of God, given hope and given a new life. Well, sixth, the Israelites pass through the water, which are piled up now on either side, and they walk through the water to a new life on their way to the promised land. And we too pass through water, but for us it's baptism, a picture of us going from a place of slavery, dying, going under the water, and then coming alive to a new life. God makes us new people, and we too have the hope that one day we will also arrive at the promised land, probably for most of us after doing some significant wandering around, because we're humans and that's what we do. But the Exodus story is an echo of God's greatest rescue story. And who doesn't love a good rescue story? 
Well, today we've compared and contrasted two rescue stories, one of the Israelites, one of humanity. And then we've placed our own story up beside that as we've considered how our story is informed by this great story. Well, both stories share one overarching message. The faithful God who makes promises, he can be counted on. He can be trusted. He's made a way for you and he's included you in his rescue plan. And if you have questions about Jesus' rescue plan for you, about what he's done by the shedding of his blood to rescue you from sin and death, and you'd like someone to talk about it with you, then please make sure that you call one of your pastors. Email us, phone us. We would be happy to talk to you about that. But God not only rescues you, he is also present in whatever you are going through. He cares. He's with you. So perhaps you wonder about where God is in these difficult days of pandemic. Do you feel a bit like we are slaves to a sickness? I do. Does it make you feel like you're weary or overwhelmed? And it seems like we're bombarded with differing, strongly held opinions. And with those opinions, there can be this uncharacteristic undercurrent of anger that seems to lurk just below the surface of people's words. Have you found yourself saying things recently that in the past you would have never said? I mean, I read it on Facebook all the time. We all just want this to be over, right? But here's the thing. As followers of Jesus, we are called to a posture of love. Pause for a moment. Is the way that you have been approaching situations in your life mirroring the one that you follow? Are the things that you've been saying or writing been surrounded with love and kindness? Would you be willing to ask God to help you to live love in this coming week? And what if God's rescue of this situation that we are part of right here and right now requires that we, his followers, lay down our right to be right and act with kindness and love instead? Could we do that? Could I do that? Jesus said folks will know that we are his followers by how we love each other. So perhaps this morning, we are at our own burning bush. God is present here today, and he's speaking to you. And do you wonder if we've been put here for such a time as this to be God's hand, hands and feet in his rescue minute, uh, mission of our part of Calgary? And what would that look like? Acting with love and grace towards people who are lonely or isolated God might, like he did to Moses, put his finger on you and ask you to be part of some corner of his rescue mission. And how would you respond if he said, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is, and then you fill in the details, would you say, not me, it's too hard. Do you know my brother Aaron? Or would you consider saying yes, knowing that God goes with you, do you feel God calling you to something? And on a larger scale, do we as a worshiping community feel called to something? Something that might challenge us and potentially scare us and cost us 
And would we say yes to the great I am as he invites us on an adventure? We know God chooses humans to participate in his work, so are, are we up to whatever it is that he might want to do to use us? What would that look like for you in this coming week? Well, if you want to talk about that, we're also here for you. We all need God more than we have um, maybe ever needed him, and, or maybe we've always needed him this much, but we are more aware in these difficult times that God, that we need God. And so what I want to say to you is that the God who split the Red Sea, he is with you. The God who overcame the Egyptians, he wants to give you hope. The God who led the Israelites into their promised land wants to be your deliverer. That is the God we follow. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning recognizing that we are constantly in need of your faithfulness in our lives. We are constantly in need of your rescue. I thank you that you sent Jesus to be our rescuer. I thank you that you include us and use us and give us hope. And so in these days um, when things are difficult around us, we thank you that you even offer us the chance to be part of your great mission, to care for people with kindness and compassion and love. God, help us all to be listening people who listen for your voice. And even when we're not listening, I pray you'd surprise us with you, your own ver our own version of the burning bush. Help us to be listening people so that when you put your finger on us and invite us to go for you, we'll be willing to say yes. And so, Father, we commit ourselves to you in this coming week. Help us to be people who follow you well and reflect who you are. We live with gratefulness in this day. Amen. I want to end us with a, just a song, um, and it's um, based on Psalm 107, which is what Renus re read to us earlier, and it's called Let the Redeemed of the Lord um, Say So. And in it is an invitation for you to be thankful. So as you just listen to this song, allow it to um, well up in you thankfulness for what God has done.